Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. I have this bad habit. Number one, I, I have a tendency to lose my, my power cords for my uh, computer, my laptop. I also hate offices, which means I, I move around a lot. So if I'm not meeting with somebody, I might be at the house and I just move around a bunch. But I have this habit, I have this habit of uh, being on my computer, working intently, typing away, and then the computer will let me know. The computer will say, hey, uh, you have 5% battery left. And if you don't get this worked out, it's all going to burn, right? Like it gives you this warning. It doesn't say that. It just says like, hey, plug it, plug it in. But, but I'm sitting there, and here's what I've done. I thought to myself, man, I am such a smart dude. I'm going to put power cords around my house at the place where I do the most work. Have, have you ever, ever done this? Any of you? Yeah, because it's like I'm always losing power and I'm always sitting here. And so I do, I've done that. So now I have a power cord in three or four places around my house. So I don't even have to take the cord with me. I got a cord for my bag. I've got cords where I, I need the cords. They're there. They're ready for me. But you know what my bad habit is? My bad habit is I still ignore the warning sign. I have a cord laying right there, three feet from me, two feet. I just lean over and grab it. And inevitably, when I'm locked into a project, when I'm locked into working, inevitably, I will still run out of power. And then I get mad at the computer like it's the computer's fault. But the power was right there all along. 2 Timothy 3, 1-5 says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. That's a pretty crazy list, isn't it? Like if you were to run down a list of kind of what's wrong with the world, you'd be like, wow, that, that's a pretty good start. That's a pretty good idea, pretty good summary of just how much is messed up with the world. But when I look at that list, what, what I don't see is I don't see the ending. Like what ties it all together? What is the bow that is put on that list of terrible things that, that's going on in our world? What is the bow? It, it, it's not look at those angry atheists. The Bible doesn't say, hey, you know what? It, because of all of this problem in the world, look at those people. The Bible doesn't do that. The Scripture doesn't do that. It, it, it doesn't say, hey, because of all this, stay away from those people who worship Satan. Right? Like you would think that that would be the ending. It'd be like, man, it's miserable, it's miserable, it's miserable. Stay away from the people with the horns. You would think that's what it would be. But, it, but it's not. 
What is, what is the bow that is tied on all of what's wrong with the world around us? What is the bow? The bow says that there are people that have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Losing my religion. Denying the power that's available to us. I went to um, Latin America this, this past week and uh, spent um, time in, in the Dominican Republic as well as Costa Rica. I have no idea what the beaches look like in either place. So if you, if you have a beach story about either vacation, I, I don't know. We got off the airplane and we went right to the heart of these urban areas. And um, what hit me was I quit using my, my camera. I, I put my camera away. Because at this point, I've, I've traveled enough and used my passport enough that, that I, don't really, I don't really need, I don't need to, to do poverty tours. But what I, I notice when I'm walking around is, is I realize just how much I don't realize. I, I, I realize just how, how much is, is not true in my day-to-day life in terms of the world I live on, the ball of mud I stand on, the socioeconomic status that I have, the, the, the power and clout in the world that, that my nation... I remember sitting there and I was thinking, in, in Costa Rica, I was like, what happened? Because the caravan stuff come, was coming up from Central America right then, so it was big on the news down there. And I'm, I'm just like, wow, what if like upheaval happened while I'm overseas? And you know what I thought to myself? I thought, I would be okay, by and large. I would probably be okay because I, I serve a nation that's not this nation and that nation, I'm a citizen of a different nation and since I use my passport, they know where I am. I gave an address so when they go and the State Department wants to say, hey, where are our citizens in this broken place? Like, I would be relatively okay. Get to the consulate and I'm good. But there are a lot of people that they can't do that. And I also thought, that's the same with my dad in heaven. I'm a citizen of a different place. I'm a citizen of a different land. I, I'm, a, I'm a child of God. I am a citizen of heaven. I am a son who is well loved by my daddy who's a king. And when I look around and I see what's going on, I, I'm okay. At the end of it all, I'm going to be fine. But what do I do in the meantime? How do I live with the power of God in the meantime? I wanted you to hear that song, Losing My Religion, because that's the essence of what has to happen for you and for me. When I went down to Costa Rica, I didn't expect for much to happen. In fact, I told our elders several months ago, I was invited on this trip, and, and I had... I said, no, I just, I, I don't think I need to be going. And over the course of more months, and I was asked, and I was asked, would you just pray? And I was like, okay, I'll pray. And then eventually, I really did feel the prompting of God to say, hey, go on the trip. And, and so, so going on the trip, I, I, guys, I, I've been out of seminary for like 20 years. 
And every new wave that comes along or every piece of doctrine that gets, it, it kind of goes through my filter and then before long, it's nothing new under the sun. But something happened for me this, this week that just marked me. Like we're, we're already um, as a corporation, as an entity, we're already down this vein. But my heart genuinely broke for so many people that I know show up here on the weekends, that show up in lots and lots of churches on the weekend, that, that if true, everything changes. If, if true, if, if, if what we're about to read is accurate, everything has to be different. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. I, I enjoyed visiting the different ministry opportunities and uh, part of the reason I went was uh, to, to, to work with and observe and to see uh, a, a group of pastors and churches down there that are doing missions together and, and ministry and doing life together. Um, and, and that was all great. But the best part happened when I got to sit under uh, a pastor by the name of Alberto Badilla. Alberto Badilla is a pastor in his home there in Costa Rica. And uh, he had grown a church that got to be a significant size. It got to be a good size. And he's up there every week and he's preaching sermons. The band is on point and everything's running perfect. Production meetings were happening before service. And, and it's all smooth and it's clean and everything's great. But he dreaded coming the church he hated it he got to a place to where it was a chore and a bore and 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 he just hated it and he went to the lord and he's like lord this is this is what i prayed for like when i was a young man this is what i wanted i, I wanted lots of people in the church i want people having great worship i, I want to have great sounds up front look this is what i want why is it that i'm unhappy and as he began to read the, the scriptures, the, the Lord told him, hey, start reading the scriptures fresh. And he, he was all mad the way he tells the story and he didn't have a good attitude, but he's like, fine. And so he grabbed the Bible and he goes to Genesis and he reads the beginning of sin, fall, all that stuff and Exodus and up, oh, yep, you saved your people, you moved them out. Good job. Uh, Leviticus, lots of rules. Uh, numbers, you got a good list here. It's a great phone book. Deuteronomy, and he, and he goes through and he's just kind of begrudgingly walking through the Bible. He gets to the birth of Jesus. His heart doesn't warm up. He's like, that's awesome. Christmas. Perfect. And he keeps reading. And he comes across, as he tells the story, across Matthew 25. Now, I need you to understand, I've read Matthew 25. I, want you to, I don't want you to be like, oh, this pastor's nuts. He never read that chapter. Yes, I've read that chapter. Lots. But the problem is, is that many of us read Matthew 25 at a safe distance and we treat it as a metaphor. But it's not really a metaphor. It's not a metaphor. It, it's a warning. 
It's a pronouncement about truth. And, and, and it's a warning. No, no different than, than if I saw my daughter walking across the street and there was a car coming, I would run out in that moment and lunge and push my daughter across. You mean you would knock your daughter down? Yes. I would push her. I would shove her. I would throw her into the concrete. Wow, you're a terrible... No! If there's a car coming... Love would, put, would force me to put my hands on my daughter and get her out of the way. But there's a car coming. But, if you don't think it's a big deal, then, of course, in normal times, you would never get worked up about stuff. You'd be like, yeah, it's, it is what it is. The pastor asked, he said, hey, um, Let's say we were going, we, we rented a house. And this actually happened to some members of our church recently. Let's say we rented a house and, and uh, you knew a week or two out that there was the possibility of a Cat 1 hurricane coming and it may or may not brush the coast. Would you still go on your trip? We were all like, heck yeah. If anything, get some waves. You know? Like, whatever. You still, you booked this trip, you took time off, of course you're going to go. And he progressively went up. Cat 2, Cat 3, and people in the room started to drop down. Now we're at Cat 4. People are like, heck no, we're running the other way. And then Cat 5, it was just like, are you, are you out of your mind? And what he challenged us with is he says that a, a lot of Christians take a lot of the Scripture as potential Cat 1 hurricanes. But what happened in Genesis was Category 5. It wasn't just the fall of man. It was the destruction of everything good that God had created. All order, all system, all love, all grace, all of that that was poured out in the very beginning when God created His established order. When sin entered the world, even creation began to groan for the second coming of Christ. Like when the fall of man happened, when the fall happened, it all was broken. It's a cat five. But, but the, the church, and I'm just as guilty as anybody else, the church's solution has been to save the soul. And the church's solution is, hey, you need to meet Jesus. And, and that's true. It's 100% true. But it's been, hey, if you pray this prayer, if you meet Jesus, if we put you underwater, like you're straight. Cat one. People are like, Awesome. Well, hey, and we, we need you to just, you know, help out in the nursery and maybe throw a few dollars in the offering. Cool, I'm in. Hey, once in a while, just, you know, swing by Bible study. That's a lot, but I'll try. And, and as a result, there's a Cat 5 devastation and a Category 1 response. And when we get to chapters like Matthew 25, we create distance because we picture them as metaphors when they're not. And trust me, I was, this is my, my deal. Like, my undergrad's law. And I'm like, dude, you're blowing smoke. Like, let me read this myself. And it's not. It's a warning from our Savior. The first warning is that there's ten virgins, and it's a picture of, it is a, it's a metaphorical story, but, it, but the warning is real. 
the, the story is, is that there's ten virgins and five didn't uh, have enough oil to be ready for the bridegroom when the bridegroom came. And then by the time that they finally were ready, they had to go to the store and buy. And so the bridegroom showed up. And so what the whole point is, is that you missed the return of the bridegroom. So the first third of it starts out and says, hey, there's a chance you could miss the return of Jesus. And you, that should put us on notice, right? Like, wow, I don't, me, what? And then the second one is a story that you've been told about talents your whole life. There's somebody that was given five talents and three talents and one talent and buried it. And since he buried it, that the way that that was told most of our life has been, hey, you know what? Uh, don't, don't bury your talent. Make, make sure you, you go out there and, and, and you use what God gave you. And we've all been like, yeah. But since it's taught in its, it, in its full usually by itself, we don't attach it to the one above that says you might miss out on Jesus and the one below that we're about to look at. So you've kind of said, well, the moral of this story in this Bible lesson, it's a, it's a fairly muted story. I mean, it just means like, hey, use, use all that God gave you. Don't, don't, don't hide, hide what God gave you. Use it all. And so we're like, okay, I can I take one for the team. Use all that God gave me. But then you get to the ending. You get to the, the, the culmination of this chapter. And that's what I want you to look at today because it's not simply a metaphor. And if it's true, which it is, that's, that's free at the beginning. It's true. But if it is, everything has to change. Your paradigm, how you view yourself, what kind of measuring stick you put yourself on on how well you're doing with the Lord and, and how in tune with the gospel you are, and, and all of it needs to change. Because if this is true, which it is, if this is true, then, then I'm seriously worried for most of our souls. And you say, but pastor, I go to a church, and I mean, we got that thing in Kenya. Yeah, 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 the church does. There's a handful of people. Well, yeah, yeah, but I, I go to a church, and, and we got this thing in East Baltimore. Yeah, but have you been down there? Well, I, I go to a church and we got, we got this mission in Dundalk. Nobody wanted that building. Like for, for a year, that building was available and no other pastor wanted to go over there. But man, my, my church went over there and we're, we have a, yeah, but. Let's read. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Not metaphor. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. And He will separate. Can you say separate? He will separate. He, this is Jesus. This isn't your pastor giving you a hard talk. This isn't something that's... It's a, this is your Savior. He's going to do some separating. It says, and He will separate people one from another as a sheep or as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place on the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. 
I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous, now they have a name. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And, and when did, did we see you as a stranger and welcome you in? Or, or, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Parenthetical reference. Pause here. I've been guilty of reading this as a general, broad narrative about how we're to love people. And if you read it as such, it's easy to just hit it like speed bumps and just and you group everything together and you don't take it very seriously. You just kind of say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That just means that, that we should be loving. But the problem is, the thing that, that racked my brain, the thing that, that crushed my soul for so many of our people who come in and leave and come in and leave, and, and even people that are coming and serving, is that, that I know, I know as a pastor that, 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 that there, are, there are a handful of people that I would look at, and if, if this is the standard, if this is how Jesus is going to separate, you notice that it doesn't say, um, uh, for you said the ABC prayer at the end of a service? You, you notice that? You notice how it doesn't say, hey, I'm separating you, and, and this group over here, the reason you're in is that you got dunked? Like you were baptized, you got wet? All you righteous people, the reason you're righteous, the reason you're here, the re God's hand is on you because you, you prayed something and you got wet. No, he's saying, hey, you know what? You, you may have prayed something and, and you may have got wet, but it caused something different to happen to you. You became a man or a woman who was leveraged for the glory of God. And the first section is, you didn't miss Jesus. And the second section is that you used all you had for the glory of the king. And then we get to this third section and he gives some practical examples. With your life, not missing Jesus. Leveraging your all for the glory of the king. You cared for the broken. You gave water to the thirsty. You put clothes on the backs of those who were naked. Your life began to matter for the king. And the glory of God was able to live in you because you didn't just leave the power plugged into the wall. You weren't content running on your own energy and once in a while grabbing the wire and plugging it in. But no, no, no. You let the power of God flow through your life. And in doing so, you were declared righteous because you allowed God to use all that you are for all that He is. 
And so salvation, does, it's not that you work to get salvation. I'm going to mention that in a minute. It's not that you work to get there. It's that if you do know Jesus, you just will do good works. It just will happen. Take a look at this, and it goes on. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You didn't visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? Then he'll answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Can you notice something about these two groups? They were pretty surprised. The people that were leveraging their life for the glory of God didn't even take an account. I need you to hear that. And I want to slow down and I'm going to repeat it again. But the group of people that Jesus calls righteous, who He brings with Him to heaven and says, these are my kids. Guess what? That, that, that those people, it wasn't like, oh yeah, my payback's here. Been waiting on this. This is the day. No. They were just as surprised as anybody else that they were chosen. It was because they said that they didn't keep an account. How many of us, when we're doing something nice for somebody or loving someone, we've got a, we've got a ledger. This isn't, it's not sinful at all for us. At the end of tax season, in a couple of months, you're all going to get a letter. And that letter from the church is just going to be, hey, here's how you contributed to the kingdom of God through Captivate Church. Here's the amount. God bless you. And, and in your taxes, you're going to be able to say, hey, government, um, I need you to not hurt me. Don't penalize me for this amount of money, because this amount of money, I actually just gave it away. Like, it's not even mine. Like, here's a letter. It wasn't mine. So please, can you just tax me on the stuff that I use for my own good? Like, this is charity. I, I did this. And there's nothing wrong with that. Here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. Here's the, the problem is, is that many of us, we live and die by the ledger. You can't be asked to do anything that makes you uncomfortable. You, 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 forget tithing. I heard the other day, it was hilarious. Michael, um, uh, Michael Jr., the comedian, he, he said, uh, it was in passing, but I just thought, I was like, wow, that's pretty profound. He was like, tithing's not even being generous. He said, tithing is making sure I don't rob God. I'm like, yeah, he's right. What does that mean? Tithe is a, is a, is a measuring stick term. It, it's, it's just a number. It's 10%, period. That's all it is. And, and all that is is to acknowledge where it all came from. So God, if you, if you give me 100, I'm going to give you 10. If you give me a dollar, I'm going to give you 10 cents. If you give me 1,000, I'm going to give you 100. And why? The whole measuring system is simply to say, God, I trust you. Now, I can sing about it. I can clap about it. I can talk smack about it. But there is one practical way where I can show God I trust Him. 
So, so that, if, if tithing is just like the basics of not robbing God, like if I were to reveal to you, and I'm not going to, so don't worry. If I were to put up our giving records behind me, there'd be like eight or ten giving units in the whole church. And then there would be this line that was like, these are all the poor people that attend Captivate. Because i got to believe the best. They're all tithing. So these people must be on welfare. Pastor, you're being really mean to me, and I'm not sure if I'm coming back next week. No, friend. I'm pushing you out of the way of an oncoming car. And it hurts a little. But if there's going to be a day when the people who really know Jesus are going to be separated based on if they really genuinely care and love or if they really genuinely are selfish. Then it's the most loving thing I can do for you. My... um. My son was playing basketball last week, and I got a, um, I got a text from Christy, and, and she said, hey, Caleb hurt his finger, and it might be broken. He thinks it, it might be broken. I'm like, Caleb's 13. He doesn't know what a broken finger feels like. But I have this memory. I was a youth pastor, all of about 21 years of wisdom. And in my 21 years of wisdom, I had played sports my whole life. And so I had so many jam fingers, it's ridiculous. And so we were playing a game, and youth, the youth group was playing a game, and a ball got kicked, and this girl reached out, and it jammed her finger. And she's whining, 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 and here I am, 21 years old, you know, just a four, three or four years off the streets of Baltimore. And I'm like, quit your whining. And she's like, no, I think I broke my finger. I'm like, eh, it's jammed. Now, ask me what medical degree I had to, to make that call. I didn't. But I was like, no, it's just jammed. It looks like all my other jammed fingers. Like, Come here, I'll fix it. And I, you pull a jammed finger. So don't groan yet. <laughs> so I, I grabbed her finger and I pulled it. Because if it's jammed, you just kind of loosen it up. She's ah! I was like, oh, might not be jammed. A couple days later, uh, see her at, at her family at another event. By the way, her parents were in my youth ministry. They were workers, so they were around the whole time. I didn't hurt the kid without the parents' permission. I hurt the kid with the parents' permission. But so, so, the, so the, the, the parents, they come over, and now there's like this cast brace thing on this kid's finger. And I'm like, what happened to you? And she goes, you happened to me. I said, what? It was broken. And the doctor said it might have just been a fracture, but when you yanked on it, you probably fully broke it. So all that went through my head when my wife sent me the text saying, my son has a jammed finger and maybe it's broken, maybe not. I said, hey, go ahead and have, have an x-ray. Like, don't pull it. Just trust me on that. I'm brilliant. So she goes and they take the x-ray and sure enough, Caleb uh, broke his finger. I'm like, man, I'm glad she didn't pull that. And so he has a brace, but here's what it took. It took an x-ray. 
it, it, it took seeing all the way to the middle, seeing beyond what can be seen. I want to give you a few notes today and then we'll just kind of sit on this and be dismissed. What's God teaching us? First, salvation is by grace through faith. I have to say that up from Jump Street because I don't want you to get this twisted. I am not saying that people are saved because they care for the poor. I'm not saying that you can be saved because you give away a bunch of water to people. Salvation is Jesus' finished work on the cross. It's by grace through faith. Second one, we do not do good works to get right with God. We do good works because we are right with God. We don't do good things. We don't love on the poor. We don't care about other people to get right with God. You cannot use your charity for others as a means to get to heaven. That's not how it works. This entire story is about people that understand that they needed God's grace and they needed His love. And they're as bit, every bit poor as the next person, but for God's grace. If you weren't born in this time frame, in this nation, right now, most of the world, 80% of the world lives on $80 or $10 a day or less. 70-75% of the world lives on $2 a day or less. And I am more adamant than ever that we will have a church where you must get your passport. And I will figure out a way to get you on a plane. If you cannot afford it, I am more passionate than ever to take you and have you look at the face of your brothers and sisters on the rest of the planet's surface. Because I believe that, that, that after looking around and seeing the real world and reading the Scriptures and, and seeing that Jesus is going to separate us from those who will care and leverage it all for the glory of God through the love of humanity, or Jesus is going to say, hey, Good job being selfish, but I didn't know you. Those aren't my kids. Then I have to, as a pastor, if I really love you, I have to give you an x-ray and help you to see the soul that you, you're carrying around and, and make a decision on, am I truly one with God? Am, am, I, am I loved by God? Am I, am, I, am I in His grace? And am I on His mission? And am I leveraging my life for the opportunities He gives me to care about others and to love others? If you have been fully loved, it is your responsibility ability to love fully. That's the third one. When we are loved by Jesus, we will love people. But here's the kicker. When we love people, we love Jesus. This, this rocked my world, but, 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 but the pastor, he said, you know what, Tali? He said, when, when we have this disabled group and, and I go in and I minister, I'm loving on this disabled class. He said, when I hug that disabled child, I'm hugging Jesus. He, he said, when we, when we go and, and we're, we're dealing with the addict and the, the addict can barely stand up, but we feed them a meal and I put my arms around a person who probably hasn't been hugged in weeks, if not months. He said, I am hugging Jesus. Because the Scripture says, Jesus said, they said, hey, when did we see you? Because you know what the truth is. Here's the truth for all of us that you've got to understand and you've got to have it buried in your soul. The truth is, there is not a person in this room that if I could point and say, here is your Savior, Jesus, and He wants a hug. 
There's not one of you, even those of you that are atheists, there's not one of you. The scripture says that when that day happens, every knee's going to bow down. But the problem is, is that while you're living, he's given you the opportunity to hug him and to love him right now. But it's through the person who stinks. It's through the person who's addicted. It's through the person who had the affair. It's through the person who is broken. It is through the person who is poor. It is through the person who is disabled. It is the, through the outcast and the cast off person that nobody wants to be around. It's through the race that your race doesn't get along with. It's through speaking up for the vulnerable. That's how you can hug Jesus. But the scripture says one day Jesus is going to take all of those who really got his love. And, and as an overflow of receiving his love, they began to live and to give love. Those people he calls righteous. And he says, come home, you're my kids. But then there's a group of people that just took all of his blessing for granted. God, thanks that I live in America. Thanks that I have a, a warm bed to tuck myself into. Thanks that I have a job. Thanks that I have it all together. Thanks that I got this brilliant brain. And he says, you know, you didn't want me. You didn't want me while you lived, so you don't need to have me in eternity. The fourth thing, many people who claim to know Christ's love do not reproduce Christ's love. Many people who claim to know Christ's love do not reproduce Christ's love. The big question for today, are you a goat or a sheep? Are you a goat or a sheep? From a distance, they look the same. They can run together. They can go eat the same grass. They can go to the same places. And for a season, the shepherd may let the goats hang out. The goats aren't causing problems. They're just hanging out. But there'll be a day when, when, when the shepherd has to separate the goats from the sheep. Do you know that you're loved by Jesus? How do I know I'm a sheep? Do I know that I'm loved by Jesus? Do, do I love Jesus in return? And do I love like Jesus? There's no way that your heart of stone can be replaced. And the Bible says God gives you a new heart. There's heart surgery when you become a Christian. And there's no way your heart of stone, heart of flesh, heart of self can be replaced with the heart of God. And you continue to live selfishly. There's just no way. It's just, it's just not real. Like, and, and here's the big thing for me is I realize, whoa, whoa, hold on. I, I'm, I'm a pretty strong leader, but I'm going to have to be more strong. And any of our elders, they'll tell you, like, the, the, I've been oscillating because at the beginning of the church, I was very strong. Everything's done with excellence. We're going to be on point to be a member. You got you to gotta give. You got to serve. You got to love. And, and then over time, I was told, hey, you're kind of you're being too tough. And, and, and so I just backed off. And for several years, I was just kind of like, hey, I'm just glad you're here. Glad you're here. And, and then I, I go down and I'm just like, oh, whoa, if I love people. I can't let them sit for like a year hear me preach and, and, and not hear that maybe they got to get an x-ray. Because if I love you, I, I need to be able to tell you that. So all week, my prayer has been just, Lord, help my love for you and my love for the people to come out. Here's why. John 10 says this. Again, Jesus' words, not mine. Verse 27. Let's, let's read it together. How about that? Can you read it with me? Let's say, 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Do you see that first line? My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they what? Follow me. The Western American church has done you a disservice. When we have made a category five hurricane. Everything was wiped out. All of creation was broken at the fall of man. It wasn't just the fall of the soul. It was the fall of everything. The lion began to, to chase and to hunt other animals. What is at the restoration? What is the picture that we get of heaven? The lion and the lamb lay down again. There's no more murder. There's no more malice. There's no more going after self. There's love for your neighbor. There's, there's love for the broken. There's leveraging everything you have to give others. Why? Because you're fully loved, so you learn to live fully loving. My sheep, not goats. My sheep will hear my voice. They know my voice. And they will follow me. Sheep or goat? I don't know. Take your last three years tax returns. Go to prayer. Go talk to Jesus. Take your, your calendar. Grab your calendar for the last year or two. Go talk to Jesus. I, I don't know. I'm not here to judge. If you guys know me personally, you understand. I have none of that in my soul. I get, I get no excitement out of telling other people bad news. I do not. Not for a minute do I go, Ooh, I get to have a tough conversation. I, no. I really don't. I just do though. Why? Because Number one, it's how I'm designed. God designed me to be a truth teller. And number two, I genuinely love people and I've seen zero value in my existence at lying to people's faces. I've gained zero from it. I've seen people gain zero from lies. So if I love people, the very best thing I can do is just simply say, hey, I'm going to be a truth teller. But the beautiful thing is, I don't need to sit down with you for you to discover where you are. You and Jesus can go have a conversation. And that's all I want, because I love you. But I can't lie to you. Now here's the danger. The danger is, is as you, you guys know, I'm the executive director for 88 churches in the region. I just serve them. That's all my job is, just love on people and serve them. But I'm in, I know a lot of pastors. I know what they do to get other people. And for a lot of churches, the goal is, is to make this one hour the happiest hour of your week. And to give you a lollipop and cotton candy, smack you on your tush, say there's the offering basket. And then you come back through the turnstile the next week, and there's, there's more lights, and there's more video, and there's more smoke, and you get a lollipop, and you get cotton candy, 
You get smacked on the tush. Come back next week. And so you leave and you're just like, oh, your grace is enough. You love me, Lord. And what we've done is we've, we've made this whole thing about us. And it's not even about community. There was a season for 10 or 20 years in the church world where the biggest gift the church was trying to give you was community with each other. It was, it was just like community, community, community. That's the thing. Like if you get to know other broken people around you, like you're going to be happy. I was like, yeah, I need friends. But now it's not even that. Now it's just like, hey, just you and God, whatever you want to do, God loves you, His grace is enough. And so now we're just kind of being like, hey, I'm saved, I'm good, what more is there? But that's not the Scripture. The Scripture is my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And where they follow me is to leverage their entire being for the good of the planet around them, the people around them, those that are hurting. And when you hug a prisoner, you're hugging Jesus. When you hug a disabled child, you're hugging Jesus. When you hug a family going through turmoil, you're hugging Jesus. And now all of a sudden, this whole game makes sense. Now it's like, dear Lord, it's not all about me. It's not about what I could hoard away. It's about what I could give. It's about how I can join in the, the power of God on this planet. Now that is pretty cool. Because if you can wake up tomorrow and say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to use me, but I pray to God you use me. Lord, I don't know how you're... I'm going to carry an extra 20 bucks. I have no idea who this is for. But I'm going to carry it. And if you say give it, I'm going to give it. For all of us, it's time that we realize we're not made to be goats. The sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You're saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. But that salvation is not so you can sit until you die. That salvation is so you can join God in His redemptive, restorative mission and vision for the rest of the world. And I pray that you will no longer be content after today to just do church or to just be a religious person. I pray you will lose your religion and tap into the power of God, listen to the voice of Jesus, and go be the sheep that He's designed you to be. He calls you, those people, righteous. Let's pray.